Disability Law Show every week. Good to have you along. Martin Willems, of course, courtesy of San Firu to Market LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country, doing all the heavy lifting, answering your emails, and any questions that come through over the uh, the next hour. You can always reach out, by the way, anytime, not just while we're doing the show. That is help at disabilityrights.ca, mydisabilityquestions.com, that website, free, and it's anonymous. You can ask your questions there. They'll get answered. And uh, the phone number, always a good way, right? One eight five. Five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is the way uh, we'll do that. We'll get to some emails here in just a bit. But you had a uh, interesting thing to kick off the show today with Martin about uh, a question from a lawyer, I believe. What uh, what was that all about? You know, yes. Thanks, John. Uh, interesting that I get inquiries from lawyers more and more these days. <laughs> um, this one was from somebody in Vancouver, and I think she said to me, she says. I'm a lawyer and have been on disability for four years, meaning that she's been receiving disability benefits, I suppose. Mm -hmm. The insurance company has now denied my benefits, as it says I am not properly being treated for my mental health illness. I have not seen, I have not been seen by a psychiatrist over the past few years, as I have been seeing my family doctor regularly and following her advice. I have an own occupation policy Things went sideways the moment a new case manager was appointed. I know I have options and will not accept this denial. Should I get a lawyer now? She says that she's from Vancouver. Wow. So, okay. yeah, it, it happens. Uh, so thank you for reaching out to us is the first thing that I will say. A um, few things to unpack here. The first thing that jumps out at me is that this lawyer has been on disability benefits now for the past four years. Um, but she also says that she has an own occupation policy. So I'm just going to dive a little bit into that for those yeah, listening please. who do not understand what that means. Most group policies. So if you're working for an employer, the employer will have a group policy. Likely most employers have a group policy. And that group policy will have provisions. Um, the policy is a contract. It will have various definitions. And for the most part, the definition for total disability is broken up into two parts. So for the first, most for the most part, it's two years. For the first two years of long-term disability benefits, you have to prove and submit evidence to the insurance company that you are unable to perform the duties of your own occupation. Mm -hmm. After those two years, the definition changes. Then you have to prove that you are unable to perform the essential duties of any other occupation for which you have the transferable skills. And what they look at in those certain instances is what is your transferable skill set based on your education, your training, and your work experience. So that's what you generally get under a group policy. But then you get individual policies. And that, I believe, is what this lawyer has. So it's out there for many professionals because they may not have it through their employment, but they go out and they buy a group policy. And you can pick and choose some of the terms for those group policies. Many people choose in a professional capacity, choose what is called a rider. And that rider provides then that you can choose to purchase a bit of a higher, at a bit of a higher premium coverage that prevents the insurance company from having the definition changed to that of any occupation. Which means then that if you were to become disabled at the age of 30, for example, that for the next 35 years, if the policy goes to the age of 65, you only have to prove that you cannot perform the duties of your own occupation, 
versus any other occupation. So what we have here is an own occupation policy. Then she says that she has been on benefits for four years and the insurance company has paid it. What I take from this is there has been a change in the management of the file. And you see this a lot where case managers come and go. Uh, insurers will have new case managers appointed on file. Somebody may leave. It's quite often a revolving door from the sounds of it. And this new case manager, once she became involved, he or she became involved, the the conduct of the file changed because this lawyer has been paid for four years, has not been seen by a psychiatrist, has been following her doctor's advice, meaning a family doctor, and following her treatment. Now the insurance company is changing direction by saying, look, we've looked at the, the case, we've looked at your treatment, not necessarily on the merits of the claim, whether she's disabled or not, but is denying her based on the fact that she's not being properly treated. And then she mentions that she's not being seen by a psychiatrist. So I'm going to assume that they're taking the position that if, and I've seen this happen many times before, if the condition is as severe as the person who is claiming benefits says it is, why are they, are they not being seen by a psychiatrist? And why are they not being managed by a psychiatrist? Now, psychiatrist involvement in mental health claims is quite often advisable. But in this case, if there hasn't been a change in a condition, and it doesn't sound like there has been, it's simply a denial based on, we don't think you're properly being treated. So clearly she has options as she acknowledges herself. She's wondering whether she should get a lawyer right now. You know, your options are to submit an appeal or your option is to get a lawyer to follow through with a legal claim. In a condition, in a situation like this, where the insurance company has been paying for four years and now a new, very keen case manager has to come onto the scene, I would say to suggest to this lawyer, get in touch with us. We'll set up a phone discussion, a consultation, and I would advise to get us involved now so we can take over the negotiate well not negotiations but the dealings with the insurance company because again you're dealing with a mental health illness already struggling with that already being treated by a doctor this is now just going to create further stress and as we know in mental health disability claims any stressor has the potential of aggravating or exacerbating the condition and if there ever were to be a work plan in place a return to work plan dealing with increased stress is going to delay that even further. Consider that she's been on disability benefits for four years. That's a long time. Getting back into the workforce is going to be difficult. And pulling out the rug from under her now is really putting her at risk of having a worsening of the condition. So yes, get in touch with us. It is a good time to get a lawyer because the appeal would be you're having to fight this insurance company and dealing with this new case manager who clearly isn't on your side. So I believe if we do take over the case, and we say this to everybody that we deal with, you don't deal with the insurance company any longer. We take over all communications. You can focus on your health. You can focus on your treatment. Everything goes through with with us. And then we do level the playing field because now you have somebody fighting for you. And if it's in the context of a legal claim, we will be dealing with their lawyers and we will turn the tables. So thanks for reaching out to us again and definitely get a lawyer involved. It's interesting, though, even uh, even if it's an own occupation policy of of her own, that the it's been four years she's been getting benefit. Usually, they uh, they come knocking on the door at the two year mark and say, you know what, we're changing things. You're off. You're going to appeal or do whatever. I'm surprised it went along for four years. 
I'm surprised as well, you know, um, and it's not necessarily because she's a lawyer, but I've seen this happen before. And it's interesting that you're mentioning that, John. Uh, I remember someone who came to me as a lawyer as well, who had mm. been on claim for eight years. Wow. Uh, double this. And then the insurance company was engaged in a graduated return to work rehab attempts. The person just wasn't getting better and still took the position that, look, we've done what we needed to do, even though they paid it for eight years, and decided to pull out the rope from under and having to pursue a legal claim, which we did, and it resulted in a very good outcome. But, you know, especially in a condition or a situation where a person is living with a mental health illness, it's so difficult not having benefits coming in Dealing with this, now you have got the financial insecurity and the stress of having to fight for your claim. So get a lawyer involved. It's the only thing that makes sense. Appreciate that uh, that note, that email to start off the show, by the way, reaching out to uh, to Martin anytime, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. Get down to our first email as the show goes on here. Uh, Martin, short but sweet, Darren in BC says, hello, what if uh, medication is not working for me? Can I stop it? kind of a medical question but i guess there's a legal point to that too right there definitely is a legal point to that thank you darren for reaching out to us so interesting question um my mind for some reason always goes to mental health disability class when i see a question like Mm -hmm. this but it's not necessarily mental health it could be physical you know Uh, i speak to many clients who have fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome or myalgic encephalitis which is quite often also referred to as chronic fatigue syndrome and, you know, some medications work for some people and some medications do not work for others. I've had a bunch of clients who have uh, allergies with respect to medications or extremely sensitive to medications. So what happens, for example, if you would speak about a, a mental health disability claim, antidepressants, and there are so many of them out there, don't work for every person. So in a situation where a psychiatrist is involved, Quite often, the psychiatrist would try a medication. Some people would have significant side effects or it just wouldn't be working and then would be trying a new one. So in the situation where Darren is saying, this medication isn't working for me, uh, it's quite cryptic. I'm not sure what the exact circumstances would be, but can he stop it? Of course, I'm not a medical doctor and neither is the insurance company. Right. So the first thing to say is, Darren, go speak to your doctor. And I'm not sure if it is a mental health illness or a physical illness or whether there's a specialist involved, but that's where you should go. The legal ramification, of course, would be if Darren just suddenly stopped the medication without having a discussion with the doctor, without there being any notation made in the clinical entries as to that there was a discussion because the, the safest thing to do is to follow the treatment advice of the doctor. And if it's not working, speak to your doctor Tell your doctor that it's not working, and the doctor may have something else in mind. For example, with mental health, it may go towards counseling, or it may be a new type of medication. But don't simply just not do it and not have a discussion with your doctor, because the insurance company quite often will jump on that and say, under the terms of our policy, you have to be under the appropriate medical right. treatment plan. And by doing this, You're now breaching your obligations, and now we can deny your claim. And you want to prevent that. So as we always say to clients, speak to your doctor on a regular basis, follow your doctor's treatment advice, and make sure that everything is noted in the clinical interest so that there's a paper trail of the discussions that you had with your doctor and the treatment that has been recommended. 
And with that, we will take our first break and get right back to it. In the meantime, you want to get a uh, keyboard happening or your smartphone, send an email along. Questions for Martin anytime, not just during the show, anytime, is help at disabilityrights.ca. There's also another option, and that's called mydisabilityquestions.com. That one's a beauty because it's free, it's anonymous, and it's a chance for you to search for a question similar to yours if it has been asked and answered in the past. Good. Save some time. If not, you can leave your questions there, and they will get uh, taken care of My disabilityquestions.com no problem that in the phone number of course anytime 1-855-821-5900 is the way to do that and we'll continue lots more disability law show is on the way yeah we're back you bet disability law show martin willems here covering things for samfiru to mark and llp the most positively reviewed law firm in the country and uh, all over the west coast martin would be you can reach out anytime to this phone number 1-855-821-5900 help at disabilityrights.ca and for notations about ltd quick little facts really easy to use there's ltd faq ca frequently asked questions ltd faq ca anytime you want to uh to use that as well let's get to another uh, another email martin this one comes from uh andy this time says hey guys i've been off uh, work because i had restrictions and my employer said they could not accommodate me the insurance company has been paying me disability benefits but is cutting me off after it paid me for two years as they say i can go wor- uh, work in a different job which is not physical so i have to quit my job will my employer pay me severance as the insurer is basically forcing me to get another job that's from Andy. Well, uh, thank you, Andy. Uh, th- th- there's quite a lot there. Um, the good thing that I can say to you about San to Merck and our firm is that we have employment lawyers as well because there's a significant employment component to this. I am not an employment lawyer, but definitely reach out and speak to one of our employment lawyers with respect to the severance component here um, because there definitely may be a valuable addition that they could give you with respect to that question. Um, in terms of the disability claim that is being paid, it take, I'm taking from this that Andy thinks at the end of the two-year mark, he has to go back and find another job because the insurance company is now going to cut him off. And this goes back to my earlier discussion when we started the show about the group policies that have two definitions. So, The first one is you have to be unable to perform the duties of your own occupation, the essential duties of your own occupation. Mm -hmm. And reading Andy's email, it seems that he had a physical job. So, and he had some restrictions in place. The employer couldn't accommodate him. Not sure how things have changed for him, whether things have become more severe or whether there are other conditions at play now. But it's, and he says, so if I have to quit my job, will my employer pay me severance as the insurer is basically forcing me to get another job? Nobody can force you to get another job, Andy. The, the situation here is, and the question is, are you still disabled from performing the duties of another occupation? Right. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's any occupation that you could imagine under the sun. It has to be something for which Andy has the transferable skills based on his training, his education, and his work experience. I have spoken to many people, and I've had many clients who have been involved in a physical occupation for the entirety of their work career. The evidence then is that the person cannot perform the physical duties of that occupation, and then at the two-year mark, the the insurer often says, look, we understand that you may not be able to do a physical job, 
but we think you can do something else. We're going to give you some computer courses and off you go, you can work at a desk job. Now consider that for somebody who may be 60 years of age, who's never worked at a desk job, who has physical restrictions and limitations. And quite often those physical restrictions and limitations would also involve an inability to sit and stand for a long period of time. With, with chronic pain, things becoming worse, affecting their cognitive faculties, their concentration, their focus, their memory. So it's a much more complex thing than to say to somebody, look, you were working in a physical condition, but position, just go work in a position where you can do a sedentary occupation, where you can just sit and work on a computer. So Andy, please do not quit your occupation or your job. Firstly, speak to an employment lawyer as to what your rights are with respect to your employment and whether there would be any severance payable. And secondly, go speak to your doctor. Have a discussion with your doctor as to post with respect to whether the doctor still supports that you are disabled from working in potentially another occupation. You know, it, it, it is a very difficult situation to be in when you're... Yeah. When you're being denied, people make rash decisions. They don't always think them through. But don't ex don't accept the fact that the insurance company is saying to you that you are now no longer disabled, that you are being forced back to work. And if there is this denial, reach out to one of us at the firm because we speak to people like Andy on a daily basis. And there almost always is something to be done in a situation where there is a denial at what we call the change of definition phase. And Andy, by the way, a little side note that the other half of what the uh, San Fury to Market Firm does is employment law, so it's all taken care of under one roof because there's so much crossover as, as you know, Martin just uh, threw out there as an example between disability and employment. Sometimes they cross over and you'll need both, so taken care of in that regard. It's interesting too, though, don't they, I mean, how outlandish would it be for this insurance company, assuming Andy had a very physical job his entire working career, he's been paid for two years, they turn around and say, okay, maybe you're uh, a truck driver, you loaded skids, I don't know now i think you could do an it job with a little bit of training i mean it doesn't there's that factor which you mentioned but there's also the factor of what what they would or you would refer to or as the insurance company would refer to as commensurate income he can't just go you know serve coffee if he's been making eighty thousand dollars a year at another job i mean they can't just they can't just cast a wide net and say go do this right there's got to be that factor taken into consideration too no John, that's such a good point. And you know what? I, I see this on such a regular basis. Yes, there is that commensurate level as well. Some policies would define what the commensurate level mm -hmm. is. Now, the, what we mean by the term commensurate, it is your disability policy, if it has a percentage in it, under the any occupation phase would say that if you are able to perform the duties of another occupation based on your education training experience, that would pay you roughly, and that would give you a percentage, something between 50 or 75%, 75% being at the high end, those are the Cadillac policies, if I could call them that. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be able to earn that amount of your pre-disability earnings, the percentage of your pre-disability earnings, or you're still disabled within meaning of the policy. Now, if the policy doesn't mention the specific percentage, then we default back to the common law position. So yes, you cannot tell somebody was earning $100,000 before to now go work at a job that pays you $40,000. That just simply is not how it works. And that's a very good point because, again, that is a point of attack that we could use if we were to pursue a legal claim. 
Again, reaching out to Andy, you know the email address, obviously, because we just use it, but the phone number, one 821 5900 You want to have the further conversation with Martin and his team and explore your options for sure. Do not hesitate to uh, have that conversation, one 821 5900 Let's roll on to uh, Sue in Alberta. Says, hey, Martin, my doctor told me to apply for CPP disability benefits. If I am approved, would that make it more difficult for the insurer to cut me off uh, my uh, my insurance benefits? It's a good question. Good question. <laughs> there you go. Uh, thank you for reaching out, Sue. And you know what? I say it's a good question because I get asked this question many, many times. The first thing that I see here is the doctor is telling you to apply for CPP disability benefits. The definition for CPP disability benefits in order to get those benefits is, number one, you have you must have made sufficient contributions to the CPP plan. And secondly, there's a medical requirement, and that is that you must have an illness or a condition that is both severe and prolonged to the extent that it prevents you from engaging in any gainful occupation. That is the literal definition. Mm-hmm. Now, consider what I just said. A condition that is severe and prolonged, that it prevents you from engaging in any gainful occupation. So it seems that it costs a very wide net, if I could use your phrase, John, from occupations that you would be unable to perform. And if Sue's doctor is recommending that she applies for CPP disability benefits, does that not tell us that the doctor, based on his interactions with Sue, feels that she can no longer work in any gainful occupation, and that her condition is both severe and prolonged. So it's not surprising that people would ask this question. If my doctor feels this way, and more so, if the insurance, if the government actually even accepted that claim for CPP disability benefits, in other words, they're accepting that my condition is so severe and it is prolonged, meaning that it extends in the foreseeable future, that I cannot work in any gainful occupation. Why on earth would an insurance company then say to me, look, we've looked at this claim. We think you can go work in another occupation. So it's a very valid question. The difference and the unfortunate circle the reality is that I have seen many cases denied at this juncture, even in the context of CPP disability benefits being paid. And the insurance companies would often say to me, look, we look at things differently. We may take into consideration a doctor's opinion as a factor but we do not need to rely on what that doctor says. Um, If you look at it academically, I suppose that's a true statement. But in reality, of course, they have to consider what the doctor says because the doctor has the benefit of making an informed decision because the doctor sees this person, like Sue, on a regular basis. The doctor sees the struggles and the restrictions and the limitations that a person like Sue has where the insurance company is literally just speaking to her on the phone and sometimes would have a internal doctor review the medical information on file, not having the benefit of having spoken to Sue, having seen her, having assessed her or examined her. And yet in those circumstances, quite often that internal doctor may say, look, I've heard what this doctor has to say, but I disagree. Now, who has the benefit of making an informed opinion here? Of course, it is the treating doctor and not the person who has not even seen Sue. So when cases are denied in a situation like this, where CPP benefits are being applied for or already being approved, people are mad. And I understand why they are mad, because they're so surprised, they're so outraged as to why their claim has been denied. So 
Your question to me is, does it make it more difficult for the insurance companies? One would hope so, but in reality, not necessarily. So, Sue, if, if your claim is denied and your doctor is recommending that you apply for CPP disability benefits, please reach out to us because we can assist you. I cannot see how this situation is going to um, turn out in a more positive way if this insurance company denies the claim and we don't get involved. I know we got to we got to break in a couple minutes, but they really we've discussed in the past. Martin too is applying for CPP, and then if you're lucky enough to receive CPP uh, disability, there's no real there's no harm in it. Number one, because it's a tougher test. So if CPP, if the government approves you for benefits, it's going to be a tougher argument for the insurance company. Number two, if the insurance company does end up cutting you off, you have an income. Number three, uh, if you don't apply for it anyway, there's a good chance the insurance company is going to estimate what you might have gotten on CPP regardless and, and deduct that from your uh, your income, right? So there's there's three good things, uh, reasons to apply for it and hopefully get it, right? Definitely, because you know, once you've applied for CPP, number one, you have a doctor's support to show that you mm -hmm. cannot work in another occupation any other gainful occupation. And you're right on that point, that if you're approved, you're going to get some income coming in. If the insurance company denies your claim, you will still receive this. It doesn't happen often. It's very, very seldom that Service Canada will decide to reassess a claim where a person is receiving CPP disability benefits. Of course, if things do change in the future and you are able to go back to work, then you have a duty to inform Service Canada that, look, I'm now going back to work because you cannot receive CPP disability benefits and work where you're making more than roughly $6,000 a year. But it is a good thing to do. And you're right, the insurance companies quite often, if it, especially if it goes into the any occupation phase and you're refusing to apply, the policy does allow the insurer to estimate the amount that you would have received and to deduct it from your, um, your long-term disability benefit. And with that, we will take a short break. More emails and questions on the way. You can always contribute to the show. Love having you on uh, by name. Anyway, you can do that, uh, and we'll uh, we'll get it out on air sometime during the, one of the shows for sure. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address that Sue used, and we'll get to uh, Michael's here in just a minute. That and the phone number to reach Martin and his team anytime, one 821 5900 We'll continue. This is the Disability Law Show. Welcome back, Disability Law Show. Thank you for uh, hanging in for the uh, the hour of the show. Reaching out to Martin Willems anytime, courtesy Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP. They are the most positively reviewed law firm across the country. How about that? The reason being is because they'll be all over uh, your case and your needs. You just need to reach out and ask your questions for sure. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Help at disabilityrights.ca through email and the phone number one eight five five eight two one. 5,900 and frequently asked questions. You have a many. There's a, a website built for that, really simple to use and navigate ltdfaq.ca as well. As promised, Michael, thank you so much for uh, for hanging in there and appreciate your email. Uh, writes in from Alberta this time. Uh, Martin says, hey guys, my company wants to terminate my employment. I've not been working for the past four years and have been receiving disability benefits during that time. I'm still receiving LTD benefits. If my employer terminates my position, does that mean the insurance company will also cut off my benefits? We get this question every week from people, especially in the current state of things. What do you think, pal? <laughs> Again, it's a good question. You're so right, John. I, I get that question from people who phone me on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. You're going to hear something from me that I say every week. Uh, your disability benefits stem from insurance coverage. And that insurance coverage is based on a policy. 
And the policy is something you likely have through your employment with an employer. The policy is a contract. If there is an insurance company involved, which is the underwriter, in other words, the entity that is legally and financially liable to pay you the benefits, they will be looking at the contents of that policy, the provisions of the policy. What happened here is Michael went off work four years ago, or maybe more than four years ago, because it likely would have been an elimination period. And he's been receiving disability benefits ever since from the insurance company. Mm -hmm. When he went off work, he had coverage, of course, because he was working at the time. So we used it, I used the term that his claim vested at the time when he had coverage because he was working at the time. What happens to his employment after the fact doesn't really impact his entitlement to long-term disability benefits because his claim vested, became operative, whatever term you want to use, when he had coverage. If his employer terminates his employment, will that have an effect on the insurance benefits that he's receiving to the extent that the insurance company can now also terminate his benefits? No. They cannot terminate his benefits unless there is a different provision that they would be relying on. What people get confused with is the following. There's, there are provisions in the policy that speak about when coverage terminates, also when benefits end, but when coverage terminates. And coverage does terminate when your employment is terminated. So if you're working, say you work until the end of July, on July 31, your coverage terminates. The next day you become disabled. Mm -hmm. You're not covered because your employment terminated and your, and your disability coverage ended, if that is the circumstance. Right. But if you've already been receiving benefits and your employment then terminates after that, you go back to the wording of the policy. And the wording of the policy is what defines your rights and also your obligations. Further thing that I will say to Michael, and this is the same thing that I would say to Andy, if your company wants to terminate your employment, remember that we have lawyers in BC, Alberta, and Ontario who operate in the context of employment law. This is That is their area, so reach out and have a discussion with us or with one of them about this because you have rights there as well. At least discuss your options to discover what your rights are and to see whether there's anything that could be pursued under that heading. But in terms of the disability benefits, if they denied you, reach out to one of us because your employment terminating should not be a reason for a denial. And with that, we'll move down to uh, Benedict. Again, Benedict using that email address, help at disabilityrights.ca. A bit of a lengthy one, so... Uh so buckle up, here he goes, says, hey guys, I went off work in late 2020 after I suffered various fractures in a skiing accident. I have a physical job and the insurance company has been paying me benefits. Years ago, I was diagnosed with depression and have been living with it ever since. I was coping with my depression for years. After I had the ski accident, surprisingly, my mental health remained stable. However, in the past year, I believe I suffered a relapse. I've been referred to a psychiatrist and my medication has been changed. Uh, I'm concerned that the insurance company will deny my claim at the end of the two-year mark because my depression is not the reason I went off work and my physical injuries are healing, although I still have a lot of pain. I cannot see myself returning to any form of work as my depression has me uh, not even wanting to get out of bed. What can I do if they deny me? Can they deny me, says Benedict. 
Thank you, Benedict. Uh, again, it's an interesting question, and it's something that we see every now and again. So the first thing that we know is that Benedict had a physical horse. Sounds from uh, from hearing a significant skiing accident with physical injuries and was unable to work. And sounds again like it is a physical type of position. The insurance company has been paying for two years. And in the meantime, while this has been happening, Benedict has developed a worsening of what seems to have been a stable depression that he has been living with for years. This question often comes up in the context of, well, I wasn't disabled because of this condition, but since I've been off work, I now have a new condition that is preventing me from returning to work. Not to discount that the physical component is not maybe still disabling as well, because Benedict still has chronic pain, or a lot of pain. So that, as we know, in the context of disability claims, pain and depression often go hand in hand and feed in and off each other. So the question for Benedict is, they're coming up to the two-year mark. Is the insurance company going to deny my claim because the depression may be the more disabling condition now, and my depression is not why I went off work in the first instance? Disability policies, as I said before, are contracts. So what we should remember is, in the context of a disability claim, we're looking at not the reason why you're disabled necessarily, but what is your functional impairment? Are you unable to work because of a condition or an illness? And it's not determinative that the depression became more disabling during the time frame that Benedict was already receiving disability benefits. So no, they cannot deny you based on the fact that the depression arose while you were not working or, and while you were still receiving disability benefits. I would advise strongly to get your doctor in, on board as well. And it sounds like the doctor is quite on the ball here because you've been referred to a psychiatrist and the medication has been changed. So in the context of a disability claim, again, the question is, are you unable to perform the duties of any other occupation based on your transferable skill sets? And with depression that is worsening, medication that has been changed, you quite often would have an inability to focus, concentrate, poor memory, inability to handle any stress. And on top of that, Benedict is still recovering from significant fractures due to a ski accident. So I'm confident that from what I understand, Benedict will still meet the definition of total disability within the meaning of this policy. And again, if the insurance company were to deny his claim, reach out to us because these are the types of cases that we see regularly and that we help people with because we take over the communications and we will fight for your rights, Benedict. Benedict, appreciate, uh, appreciate you reaching out. We'll take a short break, try to get a couple more in with the remaining minutes of the show. If you don't get your email read out on the show, you can still send it along anytime and have it taken care of uh, privately, of course, and discreetly. one 821 5900 the number, and that email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. Short break, and back with more Disability Law Show continues. Hang on. Yeah, this is the Disability Law Show every week. Good to have you along. Martin Willems is here. Sam Firu to Mark and LLP. Reaching out to Martin anytime. 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca. All the way from BC. Want to get to Mandeep's email. Says, hey guys, I paid into critical illness for years. I've been diagnosed with MS, but the insurance company has denied my claim, saying that MS is not covered as a critical illness in the policy. I don't understand why, as I understood that MS uh, MS was covered a covered critical illness. Does this make sense, says Mandeep? Mandeep, thank you for reaching out to us. So critical illness 
obviously not the same thing as long-term disability benefits. Some people choose to buy critical illness policies or may have some critical illness benefit normally at a lower coverage amount through their employment. And as I said with LTD policies, critical illness is also based on a policy which is a contract. And when you're dealing with critical illness, the critical illness policy will define which medical conditions qualify as a critical illness. Now, the difference here is critical illness other than LTD benefits is a one-time payment. So if you have been diagnosed with a critical illness that meets the definition of the defined critical illnesses in the policy, the insurance company must pay to you a one-time benefit. And I have seen this particular circumstance as well before, meaning that a person may reach out to me saying that my doctor has diagnosed me with MS, which is multiple sclerosis, which invariably you will find as a covered critical illness in a critical illness policy. But the insurance company is not paying benefits to you. Now, as a layperson, I get that this would be a difficult thing to comprehend and for lawyers as well. But you have to go and look at what the policy says because these conditions are defined in the policies in a particular way. For example, sometimes people would be diagnosed with cancer, but the t type of cancer or the progression of the cancer does not meet the definition of critical illness in the policy, meaning how cancer is defined. Multiple sclerosis, though, is a different situation. Right? Um, I have seen cases where the MS claim is denied, as I said before, because the person may not have had met the criteria as it is stated in the critical illness policy. I would suggest to Mandeep, when you ask, does it make sense, reach out to us, because what we do when clients reach out to us is we review the claim, we review the medical information, we review the policy. And when I review cases like this, I'm going to be looking at what does the policy say and what does the medical evidence show? If there is indeed a diagnosis of MS, it may be worthwhile having a discussion with the neurologist who made that diagnosis and have the neurologist review the denial letter to understand why the claim was denied and to see whether the fact pattern, meaning the medical information that led up to the diagnosis, actually does meet the definition within the meaning of the policy. Another thing to mention is, if the MS diagnosis does not meet the, the definition at this time, it may meet it at a later stage because quite often with critical illness policies dealing with MS, you may need more than one MRI or you may need to have had one or more incidents of flare-ups during the course of the MS diagnosis. So again, it sounds very complicated, I'm assuming at times, but it's much easier if we have a review of the policy and a review of the medical information. So Mandeep, strongest advice to you is reach out to one of the lawyers at my firm who do, and we can review the policy and the medical information. Appreciate it, Mandeep. You got the email. Here is that number again, one 821 5900 Let's try to get Sandy's email in here with the remaining time. Says, uh, 
How much is the average payment for long-term disability benefits? Can I work and receive LTD benefits? I'm struggling to cope at work due to having anxiety. That could be crippling at times, but I'm worried that I won't be able to pay my bills if I stop working. On the other hand, I'm worried that if I uh, do carry on work, that I will suffer a breakdown as I'm having panic attacks. That's Sandy. Well, yeah. Sandy, I'm sorry to hear this. This is a very, very difficult circumstance for you. Um, first question, how much the average payment for LTD benefits? Again, you go back to the policy, look at what your earnings are, and you look at what the policy provides for as the calculation on the LTD benefit. It would be a percentage of your income. Then there's the question about what to do. Would there be, could you carry on working and still receive benefits? Some policies provide for what is called a partial disability benefit. And in certain circumstances, even a gradual return to work rehab benefit my concern for Sandy here is that things are getting worse. He's concerned that, or he or she is concerned that there won't be benefits being paid. And also what will happen if he carries on working because he's having panic attacks. Um, have a discussion with the doctor in the first instance. It sounds like things are getting too difficult to work and you don't want to be in a situation where things get to such a point that you have a complete breakdown and your employment may have been affected as well. So speak to the doctor maybe get the doctor's advice as to whether the doctor supports that you go off work and then apply for LTD benefits. If the claim is denied, ultimately, you know what to do. You reach out to us because that is what we do. Insurance companies often deny cases based on mental health claims, as we have seen every single day. And in Sandy's situation, carrying on working sounds to be counterintuitive in a situation where somebody's condition is getting worse. And we appreciate that, Sandy, to wrap up the show today. Martin, as always, handling things. You want to reach out to Martin, very capable. At least have the phone call, have a conversation, right? If it doesn't need to go any further than that, that's fine. But if uh, if it does, well, then you're already in great hands. How do you do it? one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca, the email address. And as we mentioned before, a way to ask questions free anonymously as well, mydisabilityquestions.com. And we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show.